0: I think sometimes we we hear of the possibility of letting go of our story and we hear ourselves being encouraged to let go of our story I think sometimes first when we hear of this possibility actually it, it sounds like a terribly good idea and we can even find ourselves even getting quite excited about the possibility of letting go. Of our story and some people even try it uh, in the meditation they even experiment a little bit with what it feels like to let go of their story um, and often discover actually that it feels really wonderful that it comes as a great sense of relief not always to have a story about ourselves and about the world and about other people but sometimes it seems that letting go of our story really opens us and then i think for many people they also experience times when the excitement kind of dies away and they find themselves encountering these these very valid questions quite valid questions about You know what does it look like in the world to live without a story you know how how do you function in the world how do you do anything how do you create anything you know how do you kind of live without a story i think sometimes when we look around us in the world at our world which certainly has a lot of stories it seems like if we're going to survive in this world we also have to have a story too and you know sometimes we're faced with this dilemma well of thinking that maybe if we don't have a story we can't live in the world we can go look for a mountaintop and maybe if we have a story and live in the world we can't actually be free Um, as in all things there is a middle path and here too i think it is really important for us to look at what it might mean to live free within our stories now over this week in the talks i've looked a little bit at the nature of our personal story and looked a little bit too at the ways in which Prisons can be created for ourselves through believing our story to be our total reality. And hopefully looked also in the talks, explored the understanding that might be needed in order to let go of the belief in our story and open to a greater sense of reality. Now it seems to me that the whole of meditation practice is devoted to letting go of all that is false and limiting. And in that too, the whole of meditation practice is devoted to awakening to all that is true and genuine. Awakening to what is true so that we can live in a spirit of freedom and with an open heart in all moments and in all circumstances in our life. Now our personal story is our most deeply ingrained belief system. And we see the ways in which our idea of who we are now is shaped by the past. We see the ways in which the past moulds and flavours are present. And we're not inquired into how that process of shaping and conditioning through the past continues also into our next moment. This moment, of course, that we are in now, and the way that we are present in this moment, is actually the mother of the next moment. At this moment is filled with clinging and resisting, we are creating a history for the next moment. Our personal story, of course, through the past, carries with it our fears and our hopes and our history. And our history is actually all about our memories of pain and joy of suffering and of happiness. Yeah, all of our... Now, all of our history and our present gives us a sense of self, a sense of individuality. Yeah. And it does appear on one level that we need to have a self in order to live in a world of many selves. Sometimes we are fearful that if we didn't have a self in a world of many selves, that somehow we would be overwhelmed or overpowered by all of these other selves that surround us. I think it is important for us to see that our story has, holds within it a potential just as our story carries within it a history and a past, our story also holds within it our potential. Our story about ourselves, about who we are, has the potential to be the most strongly armored prison. It has the potential, through our belief in it, to be a prison which sets us apart from other people and from the world, and from what is possible for ourselves. Our story equally holds the potential to be one of the most fertile grounds for deepening in understanding. Understanding our story deeply and well is an understanding that can actually set us free understanding our story deeply and well has the potential to connect us profoundly that is with all that is true in ourselves in our world and in the hearts of other people understanding our story can be a vehicle for understanding all stories and in that it is a vehicle for actually bringing about the end of the separation, the gulf that can seem to lie between us and others. So understanding our story, beginning to understand the way it's formed, what is true, what is false. That understanding has the potential actually to end the isolation of individuality. Now, the other evening I was speaking about letting go and learning from our stories so that we are actually free to move on in our lives, So that we no longer believe in the delusions of our stories that describe essentially imperfection and limitation because this is the delusion of our stories. Believing in a way of seeing ourselves That is based upon descriptions of imperfection and limitation now no longer believing in the delusions of our stories does not in any way imply that we should have a mission in meditation or a mission in our lives to erase or to negate or to suppress our stories There's not any encouragement, and I would not like to suggest any encouragement whatsoever for anyone to try and get rid of their story, or to try and stamp out their history and their memories. Nor would I ever encourage anyone to attempt in any way to subdue their uniqueness as a human being. Letting go of our belief in our story doesn't mean reducing ourselves to a a phantom-like existence where we are invisible to the world and invisible to ourselves. It doesn't mean erasing our capacity for creativity and uniqueness and letting go of the belief in our story it's not about letting go of our gifts for relatedness, for communication, or for communion. It's not about letting go of our wish or our capacity to touch another. In so many times people misunderstand the whole, the whole territory of letting go of separation, of letting go of self. And fear that letting go of separation somehow means kind of retreating into a cocoon of nothingness. You know, of of being nothing in the world. And I think, you know, this is certainly not, not what any of us seek for in this path. And it is often what we fear. Liberation is not about discovering nothingness. Liberation is about discovering the suchness and the fullness of being, of reality, of truth. And being able, liberation is about being able to embody the fullness of that freedom in every area of our life. Liberating insight frees us draw upon something other than memory and then history and then fear and self-consciousness to guide our lives liberating insight frees us to draw upon profound wisdom compassion and intuition to live a life which is vital and awake a life that is saturated with peace and compassion on one level seeing on one way of seeing as long as we live we will have a story on one level of seeing as long as we live of course we have a body we have sensations we have a mind we have thoughts we have a personality we appear in the world we have a heart we have feelings none of these things none of these areas of our being Can ever be conceived of as being in any way an obstacle to liberation. As long as we live we will have a memory and so we will carry within our consciousness a certain history. Liberating insight doesn't mean having a a kind of uh, you know, some sort of psychological lobotomy where all things are forgotten that ever happened before this moment. As long as we live, we will have memories of moments of pain, moments of joy, moments of sorrow, and moments of happiness. As long as we live, all of us will make a particular appearance in the world, make a particular impact in the world, which in a very real way is unique to each of us. When we look with our eyes and our hearts and connect with the world around us, we see a world of so many appearances and so many stories. We see the world in which there appears, the world of nature, the world of people. We see the world of tragedies and of celebrations. Now there is something exciting extraordinarily magical about this world of appearance and about all the uniqueness and the variety that is held within this world of appearance there's something extraordinarily magical in the way that truth or suchness can be revealed in so many different forms we see the world made up of so many different stories sometimes in harmony and sometimes in conflict. Now being awake in our lives and living in a spirit of freedom, we are not asked to in any way negate this world of appearances or to somehow ignore the kind of magical nature of it. Nor are we asked to negate our own appearance. We are asked in our lives, to be awake, to let go of the identification with our story, to let go of the grasping and clinging we have invested into our story. To be awake, we are asked to no longer believe the world of descriptions, the world of definitions to be the truth of who we are. Being awake in our lives means really understanding that as long as we hold onto any detail of our story and say, this is who I am, then that holding creates a prison for us. That holding interrupts the unfoldment of our own story and the learning that is offered to us. The very nature of identification the very nature of clinging is that it is limiting and that it confines and limits our understanding of reality. The very nature of awakening is to no longer be confined with any limited understanding of reality. We see what happens when we do identify with any detail within our story with any particular moment within our story when we cling to it with aversion or wanting, when we hold, we see the way in which that our personal story in that moment can become so imposing, so hypnotizing, you know? It, it becomes, creates so much busyness. There's, there's so much to do through holding. And that holding separates We also experience that on a very cellular level, the way in which holding separates us from a greater sense of understanding and reality. When we learn to open into our story, to receive and to welcome, and simply to be present within the passing show of our story, we learn actually but in being present within our story we are learning the art of being able to touch the whole human story. we would like to look a little bit at the ways in which learning from our story can connect us more deeply with all stories, with all hearts, with all beings. In the time of the Buddha there's a story told of a young woman whose son whose whose very young son died and of course the the mother was filled with grief and sorrow and pain and despair and also filled with a lack of acceptance. And hearing of the Buddha and, and how wonderful and powerful and wise the Buddha was, this young woman went to him and said, you know, you are so powerful, you have so much wisdom, If you are really so powerful you will be able to return my dead son to me you will be able to bring him back to life and the Buddha said to her I want you to go to the village and to knock on each door in the village to knock at each house in the village and to bring back to me a a mustard seed from the house of any family who has never known grief and loss. And the young mother went from door to door in the village, and of course, everywhere she went and asked, you know, have you, has your life remained untouched by sadness, by grief, by loss? The answer she would always get was no. And nowhere was she able to find within that village, anywhere, any person whose life had been untouched by grief or by loss or by sadness. And she returned to the Buddha and, of course, said this. But in that journey, she began to understand how her story was actually the human's story. In all of our stories, of course, there are moments of deep pain and fear in probably everybody's story who is here there have been experiences of being hurt, rejected, or judged, experiences of loss. Possibly within everyone's story here, there have been experiences of pain that have wounded us so deeply that the rest of our lives may have been dedicated to avoiding the repetition of that pain. Now, none of those moments in our lives which plays such a big part in making up our story. None of those moments can actually be erased. All of those moments can be integrated with grace and with understanding. A grace and an understanding that is profound enough for us to really see that no moment of pain can become a conclusion in our life. That no experience can become a conclusion in our life. This is what wisdom is so much concerned with. To really see that within any experience, within any moment, there is nothing in there that can lead us to say, I am or I can't. Now, the story of the Master seed is not told in order to minimize in any way the pain of loss, but perhaps begin to, to begin to open us to a deeper sense of connection. The story of our life, the story of our heart, is actually the story of all life. In the story of life, all things that are born will also pass away. In the story of life, all things that are formed will also dissolve. In the story of life, all things that are conditioned will in time pass away and change. And that is not our mission in life to attempt in any way to control this unfoldment or to attempt to find predictability within it. Our challenge in life is to learn how to live with grace and with integrity. All of life is held within the the embrace of connectedness and relatedness. Just as within our story, within the whole story of life, all beings long for happiness and peace, all beings long to be free from fear without wisdom without wisdom this longing for happiness and peace this longing to be free from fear it's translated into the world of delusion without wisdom this most natural longing of life it's translated into delusion Where we desperately try to hold on to things, to hold on to people, to hold on to experiences, to hold on to moments, where we desperately feel loss or are filled with blame and despair. There is no grace within this story. There is no grace within the story of delusion. There is only struggle and desperation. What are the ways for us to be free within the unfoldment of the living story? What are the ways for us to be free within the unpredictability of life's story? How can we learn the lessons that the story of our life is actually bringing us? Because it is surely in learning these lessons that we actually learn to live in a sacred way. In a way of freedom we cannot control life's story and it seems to me that the only way to live with grace within life's story is actually to be awake to be so wholeheartedly present that we are deeply appreciative of the unfoldment of this story and it is so important to see the ways in which the world is liberated by non grasping. Our world is liberated by non grasping. In the cessation of grasping, we are truly in harmony with the suchness of the story of life. We are truly in harmony with the unfoldment of life's story. This doesn't mean that within that unfoldment, there will be no sadness, no grief. We feel as human beings, we feel. There was once a great master, a great meditation master called Martha. So well known for his wisdom and freedom. Also had a son who died. And his students came to him after the death of his son and found Martha crying. And they said to Martha, well, you know, you teach us that all of life is an illusion. Why are you weeping? And Martha said to them, but surely the death of a child is the saddest illusion of all. As human beings, we feel deeply. Our hearts are touched by the world around us. This is no weakness. This is no failure. This actually bonds us with life. It bonds us with a larger story. And in that bonding, there is an openness, a possibility of a profound compassion unfolding. it seems to me that the lessons of peace are actually extraordinarily simple. The lessons of learning to live with grace are actually extraordinarily simple. But they are deeply challenging. Learning to live with grace, learning to live with peace, means to live in harmony with life's story. It means to live in harmony with the actuality of life. Our life teaches us that as long as we cling to any moment of joy or happiness and say, I am. We are in that very moment of clinging actually choosing a prison. Because in that moment of clinging, we are denying the nature of change. We are denying life's story. It seems to me that as long as we are holding on and clinging to any moment of sadness and despair and saying, I am, we are also choosing the same prison. Confined and limited through the investment we have, not through the events in our life. We are never confined and imprisoned by any event, by any circumstance, by any experience. We are certainly confined and limited by the investment we bring to those events opening to a wider sense of reality, opening to the truth of what holding does to us and what openness brings to us. We experience a very much deeper sense of connection. (laughs) We understand the ways in which my story mirrors countless stories in the world and we live in the spirit of that truth. Now our personal stories are embodied in the identities and the roles and the choices that we make in our lives. In those identities and roles and choices, we embody our personal story, our personal appearance. We might have the identity of a mother, the identity of a healer, the identity of a painter, the identity of a teacher. Now all of these identities, or any of these identities, can embody a great wisdom, the gifts that we are able to bring to being present in this world. Our identities, when lived with a spirit of freedom, are vehicles of communication. That is what an identity can be. That is what any role can be. It can be a vehicle of communication. Through which our identities are a vehicle through which we can embody and communicate that which we most care about, that which we most understand to be genuine and truthful, the gifts that we are able to bring to this moment. Our identities are powerful vehicles of communication. Through our identities, the roles we have in our lives, we make an impression upon the world. And we attract ripples of response. Identities that are lived in the spirit of understanding communicate authenticity and communicate freedom. Identities that are clung to, that are identified with, that are invested with, become prisons. The story of a rabbi in Poland and one day this man from America decided to go and visit this very famous rabbi in Poland who was so well-known all over the world for his wisdom and his learning. And th- this, this person made this very long journey to Poland and had to do a lot of traveling and, you know, a lot of change. It was a very uncomfortable journey and finally landed in the capital of Poland and took, rented a, a car and a driver and said, look, here's this address, take me to this rabbi, I want to see this rabbi. And was taken to this very poor, impoverished village, in this very poor and impoverished house within this village. And the man said to the driver, Are you sure you're in the right place? And the God said, Yes, this, this is where the rabbi lives, we're in the right place. And so the man knocked at the door, you know, and then the door was answered by this, you know, hunched over old lady. And the man said, Is this where the, the learned rabbi lives? And she said, Certainly, come in, you know. And the man was so eager to meet the rabbi, must was taken into this room. in know, this very simple room, and there was this little old man sitting on a stool in this bare room. And and the man said, "You've journeyed all the way from America to see you, rabbi. You're so famous all over the world. You're so learned." He said, "But, but where are your things? You know, where's all your books? Where's all your, you know, recognition of your learning, your your diplomas, your awards?" And and the rabbi said, "But." where are yours and the, the the visiting man said that i'm just a visitor here and the rabbi said so am i so am i now there of course there could be another way of another version of this story you know where the rabbi lived in a big temple you know and you had to go through walls of bodyguards to get to see him and when you got there you had to present your credentials and the rabbi said you know. Look up to me, look how talented I am, look how learned I am, and you're such a, you know, kind of weasel down there who doesn't know anything." There are different versions that can happen within these identities and within these roles. Now, prison can be determined by any role or by any appearance and by any identity. The father is no more imprisoned within an identity than a sadhu. Who lives in a cave our prisons lie in our beliefs. you know in history not so very long ago sailors would go out in their boats exploring the world always afraid of falling off the edge you know it's not that long ago afraid of falling off the edge this was their reality the world was flat and there was an edge and they had to be really careful because if they sailed very far, they might fall off and nobody had ever, who'd ever fallen off had come back to say, you know, you don't have to worry about falling off. As far as I knew, once you fell off, that was it. Now, in time, through courage, through new discoveries, it was actually discovered there was no edge and so there was no possibility of falling off and when there was no possibility of falling off there was also no need to be afraid now the circumstances in the lives of all of those sailors and explorers in many ways the circumstances didn't change there was water there was a boat and they were in it what has changed with the beliefs? I think it is so important to understand the way the ways in which beliefs dissolve in the face of new realities. Beliefs dissolve in the face of truth. Beliefs dissolve in the face of new ways of seeing and being. Now, in meditation, we experience the ways in which our own realities can change so quickly and so dramatically. At the beginning of this retreat, you might have believed that you would die if you sat seven hours a day. You might have believed that this was not possible for you. At the beginning of this retreat, you might have believed but it was absolutely impossible for you ever to experience, you know, a few moments uh, or hours of peace. You know, if you think back to the first day of your retreat here, you know, when you're all crazy and, you know, antsy and agitated and everything. And if we said to you, you know, oh, you know, a few days, you know, it's going to be peaceful and calm and have a wonderful time, you know, would you believe it? well maybe you're still not but to tell you this, this this can happen in the face of that new reality what has happened to the person who believed themselves to be agitated and confused and restless where has that person gone Beliefs are dissolved in the face of new realities. We see that here on a moment-to-moment level. The ways in which our realities can change. The ways in which we can get lost in a story. and Oh, it can be so intense. You know, so filled with I am. You know, filled, overflowing with I am like this, you know. It's so concrete and so solid and, and so real it feels so real, you know, I'm, I'm so angry, I'm so greedy, you know, And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so filled with pain and it's because of this in my life and, and because I have this pain, I need to do this and after I've done this, then I need to do that and, you know, it can all seem so real. An hour later, you can be sitting there calm, you know, the story is gone. The whole story has just gone. It's kind of like a distant memory. And you sit there and you wonder, what happened? It's kind of like you got mugged. Mugged or or assaulted by some sort of traveling story that just happened to (laughs) get you, you know, in its journey to the meditation room. (laughs) You happened to get that one. Somebody else got a different story. And in the face of those changing reactions you say, How did it happen? And yet in the face of a new reality, an old reality doesn't make any sense at all. It just doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, if you're sitting there and you're very calm and peaceful, you know, try and feel a bit agitated. You know, know, I'm sure I was really agitated, you know, and it's got to be here still somewhere. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense anymore. The belief system doesn't make any sense. You to sit spacious, calm, peaceful and say, I'm restless. It doesn't make any sense at all. That reality is dissolved through another reality. Even in that calmness, you may even still be entertaining the same thoughts that you are experiencing in the restlessness and the agitation. You know, if you notice that you can sit there being quite calm and have the thoughts that you had an hour ago and yet somehow there is no wish to draw any conclusions from them there's no wish to draw any conclusions back from them so those thoughts are just kind of passing through you most times what has changed is not the thoughts but the belief in the investment We've not got a different mind, and you know, it's not a different mind in that moment. What has changed is the belief and the investment. It is very clear that identification and investment compels us in our lives. It drives us. It brings intensity, and it strengthens our story. It is also very clear that the prison. Of investment and identification is dissolved in the face of a different reality. Openness of seeing, openness of heart, opens the door of the prison of holding. Now, sometimes, of course, these shifts that we experience in meditation—from agitation to calmness, from loving kindness to anger, from you know defensiveness to compassion. These shifts that we experience at times seem so terribly random and unpredictable At times it seems so unreliable We would love to hold on to calmness We would love to hold on to peace But it doesn't work We've tried it You know, we've probably had a few little explorations here Into the possibilities of maintaining a particular kind of experience Only to discover it doesn't work doesn't work so we're not necessarily so happy about this random and unpredictable nature of change i mean is this the way our lives always have to be that you know one moment we're high and peaceful and happy the next moment we're depressed and anxious and fearful sometimes of course we find that the the extremes in this experience begin to get less we find that there's a little bit more reliability and sometimes we might find even you know that we might even have a whole day of calmness. You know, or, or even a couple of hours in a row feels like we're doing pretty well. And yet even when our periods of calmness seem to get longer and we're just starting to congratulate ourselves, you know, that uh, finally you know, I've let go of something somewhere and it's lasting this time, it can seem to take so little to send us sprawling again. You know, we can be out walking, patting ourselves on the back for being so calm and congratulating ourselves for our mindfulness, you know, and then we trip over a stone in the garden, you know. And right away, there's that mind saying, if you'd been a little bit more mindful, you wouldn't have tripped over the stone, you know. And, and then, you know, you thought you were so good, and now you really see how unmindful you are. You know, the whole thing comes back and starts all over again, you know. And you think, oh, God, we're so close you know it was really you know it was just it wasn't real we might even think the calmness you know so this is really my nature the unmindful crazy nature and in that moment we find ourselves lost in obsession and dwelling again what we see in this practice is the I story appearing and passing arising and disappearing in so many different forms and sometimes it's a good story and sometimes it's a wretched story. But the eye always has a story. Now it is good for us to question the apparent random nature of this. Is this the way it has to be? Do we always have to be, you know, high, low, up, down, depressed, happy? Is there perhaps? another way of being, another possibility. Now, I think what sometimes happens is that we become so involved with the I story, whether it's a good one or a bad one, that we seem to overlook the fact or the actuality that all of this arising and passing, all of this appearing and disappearing is actually seen it's actually seen. It's seen. There is actually seeing of it. Now, it wouldn't be true to say that I see it, because I and its story are always bound together. And the difficulty is we get so involved with the contents of the story that we overlook. To we forget to look a little bit more closely. And what Is the seeing? In what is all of this arising and passing? In what or where is all of this appearing and disappearing? You know, we are not slipping into consciousness and unconsciousness on a moment to moment level. There is the seeing. What is the nature of the seeing? The seeing, the awareness that embraces and accommodates and embraces all of this movement, all of these stories, all of these thoughts, all of these feelings, all of these moments of sadness and joy without preferences. What is the nature of the feeling which is really not disturbed at all by whether there is the presence of a story or the absence of a story. What is the nature of seeing? What is the nature of awareness? What is the awareness, the seeing that allows us, how is it able to embrace all of this movement? When we look at so much of our busyness in our lives and in meditation, we essentially see that busyness has to do with contents. Busyness has to do with the contents of our experience. As long as we are busy or invested in the contents of our experience, we're invested in the judgments and the reactions, the thoughts of being for or against, as long as we are invested in the contents of our experiences, we are also invested in the feelings of not being good enough, of trying to get rid of things, fix things, or even extend loving-kindness towards things. Now, in all of that busyness, there is actually not a great deal of spaciousness in those moments. Or the spaciousness, or awareness is actually not so visible to us. We have this feeling that we go in and out of awareness, or that awareness arises and passes not so. Awareness is simply obscured by the power of grasping. It is like a cloud passing in front of the sun. Awareness is obscured by the power of grasping. The eye story is shaped by the contents of our experience. Suddenly we let go and we open again, not because we have ever fixed or perfected anything, I think this is really important for us to stand, understand that those moments of opening, those moments of letting go, they've got nothing to do with fixing anything. They've got nothing to do with perfecting the eye story. They've got nothing to do with having a better I story. It is because of letting go of the identification. As long as the I story is invested in, in any form, whether it's a good story or a bad story, there is always the potential for more busyness, more fixes, more doing, more altering, more improving. Think of the eye as like an appetite. Think of the eye as an appetite that is always looking for a companion and what is the companion of that appetite? It is a story never experience I. I would invite you to take a day and try and find I, try and, try and find I, try and find. No one in all the whole history of meditation practice has yet been able to find I. Now we may be convinced that we will be the first, but no one has ever been able to find I. Try and find I. Alone, just I. You know, just an I, produce an I. No one can produce an I there's actually nobody home there. It's always I am, I need, I think, I want, I don't want, I should be, I shouldn't be. It is always I and a companion. Now what would happen? What would happen actually if we didn't hold on to identify or believe in any of those descriptions in any way? Where would the I be? Where would the eye be if they didn't have a companion? companion. And if the companion wasn't wasn't bonded through grasping? We may see see that in not believing, in not holding, we understand very deeply actually that we are not our bodies, we are not our minds, we are not our stories we are not our history now what would happen would we die would we die without identification you know what would happen to us you think we expire if we didn't identify anymore no no if we didn't identify with thoughts we would still be thought. our minds have an immense creative capacity our minds have the capacity actually to be really creative and to be able to articulate insight our minds have the capacity to reflect to explore to inquire to question our minds are actually liberated by non-dwelling not erased our minds are liberated by non-dwelling what happens to our bodies if we didn't identify with them well they'd still be here There would still be painful sensations and pleasant sensations and neutral sensations did anybody ever say a sensation was an obstacle to liberation? No. Uh, there's no need to avoid, in the absence of identification, there's no need to avoid or to pursue any form of sensation. Also in the absence of identification, there is no threat and no fear in the world of sensation. You know, Ramana Maharshi, when he was dying, he was surrounded by all these people, you know, grieving and weeping and pulling their hair. And he said, What's going on out there? Mm-hmm. You know, and they said, You know, all these people are so sad, you because know, they're dying. He said, Where do they think I could go? What happens to our bodies in the absence of identification is our bodies are liberated by non dwelling. We find grace within the changing nature of our bodies the grace that can embrace birth and death what happens to feeling in the cessation of identification in the absence of identification does it mean that we would sink into neutrality and never feel again in our lives no they would still in the absence of identification there would be sadness and joy and love and compassion Some feelings in the absence of identification will indeed disappear. Because feelings like anger and jealousy and greed are feelings that are dependent upon fear and separation. In the absence of identification, there is also a fading away of those feelings that are fueled by separation, but I don't think anyone is going to mourn the passing of greed or anger or jealousy in the identification of the I story it ends the investment of the I story in anything it means the end of separation in the end of separation there is a liberation of feeling we know a damp, deep and vast capacity to feel profound love, compassion and joy Feeling is liberated by non-dwelling. Feeling, our capacity to feel, is liberated by the absence of fear and by the absence of identification. What happens to our actions, our choices, our directions in our lives in the absence of identification? Would it mean that we just sit here, we never leave Gaia house? If we didn't identify anymore, it mean we sort of sign up for the rest of our lives, become a permanent institution in this meditation room? No. No. Action and choice and direction is not erased by the absence of identification. When our actions are not governed any longer by the fear of pain or by the craving for pleasure, When our actions and choices are not governed any longer by fear, by self-consciousness, or by aversion, or by ambition, action is liberated by non-dwelling. Action arises from a deep well of wisdom and stillness, a deep well of understanding, interconnectedness. and action then is in the service of healing and understanding and freedom and through our words and thoughts and actions, there is a vehicle for communicating all that we hold to be most true and most free. There is nothing magical about non-dwelling. It is not even necessarily something that we practice. But we where on another paradoxical level, we do practice non-dwelling. Every time we let go, every time we renounce every time we renounce aversion we do practice non-dwelling but our practice is really to see that all dwelling creates separation that through dwelling upon anything at all we are separated from a greater truth and a greater reality that through dwelling upon anything at all we are separated from spaciousness and from silence and perhaps in our practice we begin to understand the fruitlessness of dwelling. We see the way suffering is caused. We see the way our personal worlds are constructed and dissolved through dwelling. And we no longer wish to make our home there. We no longer wish to make our home within any prison created through identification. Non-dwelling also comes through love, through passion through loving, a passion for understanding what is true, a passion for understanding what is real, what is genuine in each moment. Through that passion, through that understanding, through that commitment, in a way, the consciousness is liberated. Our consciousness is liberated and our practice is liberated from other agendas. We begin to really see, you know, that understanding what is is what sets us free. In non dwelling we begin to, there's a beginning of connection with the radiance, that most essential radiance of awareness, of just seeing that embraces all forms and all movements. It is an understanding of me that doesn't belong to time and yet the invitation to see is offered to us in every moment in our life, in our practice the invitation to see is always offered to us may all beings live with grace may all beings live with wisdom May all beings be first compassion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.